Escaping Denver, Supplementary, Interview with Chris Wierkowski. Well, another two weeks have passed. Am I any closer to getting Noah and Sarah out? Well, no. If anything, I'm circling back on the whole just showing up at the Denver airport and asking for their release plan. What else can I do? If the collective is really as powerful as I'm guessing they are, how powerful they'd have to be, I don't stand a chance at getting law enforcement on my side. In all likelihood, law enforcement is already in their pocket. God, I I sound just like them. It's not an irrational statement. If everything is as everything seems to be, then it would stand to reason that the collective probably controls portions of the government. And that likely includes local law enforcement. You know, it's really not... I'm literally arguing with myself at this point. Right. Another interview. I'll take as many of these as I can get, and I was fortunate to land yet another great guest. Jonathan Kay from my last interview said something pretty simple that resonated with me enough to follow up on it. He said that UFO conspiracy theories are different from other conspiracy theories because UFOs are cool. A throwaway statement? Maybe. But totally true. Maybe I'm believing what I'm hearing because it sounds exciting. Creatures, soldiers, crawling through vents. It's it's childhood fulfillment. I needed to steal some time with someone who could tell me more about UFOs. And I got to sit down with UFOologist Chris Rakowski. He's the author of a handful of great books on the subject, and maybe he can help shed some light on this for me. So to start off, thank you very much. We, we have Chris Rakowski with us, uh, a UFOologist, UFO, UFOologist, I'm saying that correctly. No. No, I'm saying it incorrectly. Ufologist. Ufologist. See, this is why we try this. Uh, Chris is a ufologist who's been working in the field since, if I'm not mistaken, the 70s. In fact, yes, yeah, it's it's been a while. So, what drew you to the study of UFOs? Really, it was scientific curiosity. Because back in the 1970s, I was just starting university, getting into astronomy, and uh, there were a lot of people calling into the astronomy department, uh, asking about what they were seeing in the sky. They had seen UFOs, wanted to report to somebody, so they called the astronomy department of the university, and my professors were a little dismissive and a little annoyed because it's interrupting their work. And me being a a student thought I could really suck. I mean, get onto the good side (laughs) of uh, my profs by uh, saying, I I will, you know, I'll take these phone calls to, to take, you know, the the pressure off you answering this thing. It it must be, you know, very bothersome and troublesome. I'll I'll take the calls for you. I started taking phone calls from uh, people who had been reporting seeing UFOs. And I quickly found out that despite my professor's dismissive nature, most of the people were fairly rational, fairly normal. They were simply reporting things in the sky that they couldn't explain. And in most cases, I could explain them too. But there were some that were very, very curious. So I took it upon myself to uh, travel around the countryside, visiting people uh, in their homes and farms. And I found that, uh, you know, these are people who were, had simply seen something that was a little bit strange and wanted to understand it because uh, supposedly UFOs didn't exist. Then what was this that, that they had seen? Uh, and 
it sort of mushroomed from that point on. Now, you've been doing this for conservatively 40, 40 to 50 years, and <laughs> your, your method of uh, collecting this data has to have uh, kind of changed dramatically uh, over the last 50 years. Uh, it started with phone calls. How are, you, how are you collecting this data now? Is it, is it still phone calls, emails? How are people reaching out to you to let you know what they've seen? Well, it certainly started out with phone calls, uh, but in, back then it was even through uh, snail mail. People were writing letters. Um, and it has evolved over the years. There's this little thing called the internet that uh, was created in the interim. And uh, uh, today we're, we're getting uh, emails, certainly, but uh, people are also making reports uh, on social media, uh, on Twitter. Uh, there's Instagram posts. Uh, there's a number of Facebook groups, groups where people can uh, report things. Uh, so it's really coming in uh, every which way. And you, you follow down, you chase down these leads to kind of figure out if you can explain what they have seen. Right. I mean, it's uh, in Canada, it's not just myself uh, who uh, investigates and uh, reports on these things. There, there's a quite a large group of people who are fascinated and, and keep tabs on this. And what I do uh, every year is I compile an annual UFO survey uh, trying to understand what people in the entire country had seen in one year. And so um, uh, a lot of the legwork, thankfully, is done now. But I, I look over all the reports that do come in, and we evaluate them as best we can, trying to decide uh, whether something's a star, a planet, a plane, a satellite, all, all that sort of thing. And we're left with a small residual amount every year of things that don't seem to fall into a nice pigeonholed category. So out of 1,000 or so UFO reports received every year, uh, I would say somewhere a few handfuls, maybe a few dozen, uh, are things that don't seem to have easy explanations. And that's a long way from saying that there's uh, that these ones represent alien visitation. All, all we can say at this point is that we're not entirely sure what these things were. And, and that's the Canadian UFO report? Canadian UFO survey. Canadian UFO survey. I want to make sure everyone knows that. So you're saying annually, conservatively, a thousand reports come in in Canada. Mm -hmm. Now, is yeah. are these reports localized to any one geographic location or is it is it widespread? No, this is from coast to coast and north to south. Um, and we do break them down by uh, regions, by provinces. Uh, so that we can judge, you know, does Saskatchewan have more than Nova Scotia in a, in this year and, and are more occurring at 11 o'clock at night or two in the morning and uh, are uh, some of the objects green versus red. So we try to do some basic uh, analysis and uh, crunching of the data. And over the years, there's some subtle changes and uh, other dramatic uh, changes. Uh, we know that, for example, the best time uh, to see a UFO apparently is 11 o'clock at night. That seems when to, to be when most reports come in. Uh, the summer is usually a better time to see UFOs, maybe maybe because uh, you know people are out a little bit later. The sky is uh, 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 you know a little easier to look at rather than the middle of winter when the snow is falling. So there's a lot of things that that we can tell about UFO reports. Uh, the number of witnesses, for example, it's usually not just one. Uh, uh, predominantly, it's actually two, although that's, that changes a little bit from year to year. So that in other words, there's enough time for someone who's seeing a UFO to, to nudge the person beside him or her and say, hey, did you see that? Uh, so there's interesting data bits that we can 
pull out of this. And uh, they all, you know, helped uh, us a little bit to better understand the UFO phenomenon as a whole. Now, would you say that most of these are, are nighttime things? It's lights in the sky? Or are there, is anyone catching a glimpse of something during the day? Is that, is that something you come across? There's no question that most UFO reports are, are simply lights in the sky. Uh, there are a few that are a little more structured in the night sky as well. But there are cases that occur during the day, uh, cases that occur at fairly close range. Uh, by definition, the close encounters that you uh, may hear about and the one that has the name of the movie uh, after it uh, are objects that are within about 150 meters or yards. And uh, those are the ones that are, are close enough that if it was a helicopter, you should be able to tell it was a helicopter uh, or something a little more prosaic. So uh, there are cases like that, but for the vast majority, uh, most cases are lights in the night sky. And in most cases, those lights in the night sky do have simple explanations. So what, what we're referring to, I, I've done very cursory Googling. Uh, to kind of inform myself as best I could in preparation to chat with you. Uh, we're referring to a classification called the Hynek scale. Is, yes, is that uh, a fellow named uh, Alan Hynek, uh, professor of astronomy, uh, very well known. Uh, was, he was actually in Close Encounters as a cameo. Uh, and uh, he developed this, this scale. Um, there was nocturnal lights, there was daylight discs. Uh, and then there were these close encounters of the first kind, second kind, and third kind. Uh, those are essentially the, the ones that he came up with. People have sort of gone on to enhance that. They've included close encounters of the fourth and fifth kind, which are sort of like abductions and contact and all that sort of stuff, which uh, you know are difficult to define and, and understand. Uh, and we actually added a, one called nocturnal discs, which are more than just lights in the sky, but things that are seen uh, with some structure in the night sky. So... Uh, it's based on uh, the Heine classification system, and it, it it has its limitations, but it does give us some basic, uh, quick and dirty definitions and understandings of the types of UFOs that are people uh, people are reporting. It certainly gives a an understanding of kind of the breadth of what these can go from from nocturnal lights all the way into seeing an actual entity uh, close enough to say it's something. Uh, so the vast majority, you would say, fall on the, the lower end of that with the nocturnal lights and day, daytime discs. Are you encountering people with claims of uh, encounters of the third kind or second kind? Well, in, uh, close encounter of the first kind is something seen in close range. Uh, the second kind is where there are traces or materials left behind uh, after UFOs passing. Uh, they were actually pretty common in the 60s, 70s, and maybe a little into the 80s, but those have almost vanished now. Uh, it's very rare that we get a case where there's some sort of physical trace or material left behind. Um, but of course, the third kind is where you encounter uh, entities or uh, creatures of some sort. And those have always been uh, a few here and there uh, out of every year, maybe uh, two or three. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the more... Uh, Close encounters of the fourth kind, the, the abductions, and the fifth kind, the contact. Um, they've always been in the, the background somehow, but they've come into the forefront with lots of the popularization of films and, and TV and movies. Well, definitely, they're certainly captivating to kind of imagine uh, that not only have we been visited, but they've taken or they've stayed. Uh, it's kind of a 
terrifying notion, to be perfectly honest. Ab- absolutely, yeah. And and you know, we I I worked with uh, uh, people in the 1980s and into the 90s uh, who believed that they had been abducted or had close contact with uh, aliens. Uh, I actually had created a uh, uh, an abductee support group you know, in consultation with a clinical psychologist who had uh, been uh, developing such groups. And at that time, it seemed to be the right thing to do. Uh, but uh, after uh, sitting with many sessions, uh, not actually not that many sessions uh, with some of the uh, the people in the support group, it quickly became obvious that there was quite a continuum, quite a range of experiences and uh, that um, by the mere existence of the group, we were uh, actually um, causing some people anxiety or enhancing their experiences. I mean, in a, in a group, for example, if a person had described uh, gray creatures that were three feet tall that might be sitting beside somebody who said, no, no, they were four feet tall. And that might actually change, help make the, the other person change their, their story. So it matches the four foot tall version. So because of this, this conflation and the, uh, the influence of others, uh, we were not convinced that uh, a support group was necessarily the way to go. Um, so we left them to, to go on their own and, and uh, you know they they continued to meet and continue to tell each other the stories and some of those groups uh, may exist today. Uh, in fact, uh, there's Facebook groups that are uh, devoted entirely to contact with aliens to uh, communicate with people telepathically and uh, you know try to raise people's consciousness and talk about portals between dimensions and trying to save Earth from itself that type of thing. Um, but we tend to sort of not go there with uh, with the facts that we're dealt with, which are simply the the UFO reports themselves, which are the foundation upon which all this other speculation and discussion is based. So uh, there's a lot of facets to the UFO phenomenon for sure. Well, it definitely feels like your what work you do opens the door to a lot of these other theories uh, if they're able to found it on you because it's not just little green men where somebody like myself who's not necessarily super familiar I'm of of course aware of little green uh, little gray men little green men but you know people start talking about reptile people and there's been a group of people who all have seen reptiles as their as their alien and I'm not. I'm not informed necessarily about what this reptilian storyline is. Uh, Mm -hmm. But when it comes to stuff like that, or things like Roswell, these, these black sites, you know, are you coming across people who, who have any information on that? Or is it strictly, this is what I'm seeing in the sky unrelated? No, absolutely. In fact, people are, are continually coming to us, not only with close encounters and abduction reports about, uh, not just the greys and reptilians, but also the blondes and the um, uh, mantises and and insectoids and and some of the creatures like that, and the ones that are even um, more numinous than that, just uh, disembodied entities. Uh, um, but we also get the reports from people who say that um, they have inside information on what's really going on in Area 51, uh, and uh, that uh, they were sure that they. Uh, had seen something when they were uh, observing from uh, a distance with binoculars of something flying over uh, some of these Air Force bases and so forth. And, you know, there's a lot of stories going around. And uh, the problem is until we can verify some of it, they're really just stories. And yet they really attract the imagination. They're what drive us uh, in our beliefs. You know, we definitely 
live in the Steven Spielberg generation, or perhaps more appropriately, the uh, the uh, Snyder generation, uh, because you know this is this is the, the the fantastic that we see on the screen all the time, and uh, uh, it's sort of almost that we uh, assume that aliens are out there and that they're uh, living among us or flying over our heads in their ships, um, because it's it's uh, our, our belief system. It's it's how we manage to uh, to look up into the sky and and assume and hope that we're not alone, because down here on Earth. It gets pretty grim from time to time. It definitely does. You've come across a great deal. I don't want to say evidence, but you've come across, you're saying a dozen, a couple dozen every year, cases that you guys can't explain. Is there enough evidence for you to say definitively what's happening? Are you, do you, does this, a, is this enough evidence for you to say, well, this is certainly alien activity, or are you thinking this on another level is government activity, but there's something unknown occurring? Well, you know, um, every year there are some interesting cases that we can't explain. Uh, there was a case just uh, uh, about a week ago that was reported uh, where uh, there is a, a Delta Airlines pilot that was flying from uh, Fairbanks, Alaska to Minneapolis. And somewhere over Saskatchewan in Canada, uh, at 39,000 feet, they, uh, the, the pilot reported seeing some lights that were actually at an altitude higher than uh, his aircraft. And he reported it to air traffic control. And air traffic control said, no, you know what? There's nothing up there on the screen right now with you. So the question is, what was being seen? Uh, and uh, if the assumption is that it's aliens well that's a pretty big step to say that lights in the sky uh seen over uh, uh you know over some part of north america are automatically aliens as an astronomer you know my background's in astronomy so i side with most of my colleagues that uh, there is life out there somewhere but you know the the trouble is it's so far away and uh, you know we don't actually have any idea of how the technology to travel between the stars very easily it's certainly possible that uh, advanced civilizations out there somewhere might have figured out a way um, not to break the laws of physics, but to maybe bend them or use them in ways we can't imagine quite yet, and so travel between the stars. But we don't see any proof of that. We don't see any hardcore, solid evidence of that. If it's not the aliens that this pilot saw, for example, let's say it was something wrong with with his own radar and and uh, technology. Well, that should cause us some concern as well, because that implies that uh, pilots flying aircraft with hundreds of people on board uh, are putting those people at risk because they don't know what's going on. What if there's a collision? What if there's something really seriously wrong with the technology? And if it's something involved with the government and the government is conducting some tests uh, or flying some vehicles uh, uh, that don't appear on radar, well, that's also quite interesting and, and demands some investigation as well, because what's going on? What's the application? Is it not necessarily our government? Is it a foreign government? Is there an incursion that's going on that, that should be addressed by NORAD? So there's all these scenarios that could play out from the simple observations of UFOs. And, you know, in any of those cases, I think it's worth investigation and study and research by science. And I think that's what uh, we're trying to advocate. Well, you're definitely scientists first, which is appreciated in how you kind of approach this uh, as a, a natural skeptic. 
mm-hmm. it's tough for me ne- necessarily to connect with people who are so certain and sure of things that they haven't seen or done. Uh, so I definitely appreciate how how you go about this. Do you, do you find that there's an overlap necessarily in, in people that are able or have seen UFOs and their belief of it being connected to some of these other theories out there, other these dirty word, but conspiracy theories out there, uh, out secret governments or again, reptilian people, or are you finding that when people are talking to you, they're coming from a place where they've already made these connections? I would have to say that in many cases, people who are reporting UFOs uh, already have a preconceived notion. In fact, uh, um, people who are into uh, UFOs and, and real UFO fans and zealots uh, in many cases are very anti-government. They're suspicious of the government. They don't believe uh, the government statement that there's nothing to UFOs, of course. Um, they don't believe uh, the government when it says it has explanations for things. And that carries over into all sorts of other general distrusts of the government. So you can just imagine how uh, how uh, the common denominator may be belief in UFOs, but it, it really carries on into many other conspiracies. Again, you've got a couple of dozen cases a year that you're not able to explain, or at least haven't been explained yet. Uh, you know, you talk of, in some of your readings, you talk about the U.S. Air Force coming up to investigate things that are close to the border and still not having answers. Government agencies involved and not finding answers. How do you come to terms with these unknowns? What, what, do, you, what do you tell yourself? Well, one interesting thing about scientists is that a, a true scientist uh, can say, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's when you have people who are absolutely dead certain one way or another, and they have explanations for everything, and they have opinions on everything. But, you know, when it comes to, uh, to true scientific methodology, uh, if we don't have all the data or the data doesn't lend itself to a simple explanation, we have to come up with further explanations or come up with theories and test them. And until that time, we simply have to shrug our, our shoulders and say, you know, we don't know what these were. Maybe we'll figure it out sometime. And, and uh, uh, calling something unknown or unidentified uh, is not a bad thing. And I think a lot of people look upon that as, as something to be avoided. But sometimes they are unexplained for the moment. Well, there is this natural inclination to be uh, skeptical of the unknown. I think we always want to understand what we're seeing, and you know, I, you're a stronger person than myself. I don't think I, I, I could be comfortable saying I don't know. I think you're speaking to a lot of incredibly passionate people uh, who 100% believe in what they're what they saw, and you know how I, I would find it difficult not to be compelled or swayed uh, pretty continuously. Um, There's a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of things in science that um, aren't really well known at all. Uh, for example, the transition from single-celled organisms to a complex strand of DNA. Um, you know, we, we know in theory how it works through evolution, but uh, there's a big jump there. And uh, uh, the exact way in which that occurred uh, is not well understood. In fact, uh, quantum mechanics and quantum physics um, has been invoked now to uh, talk about the ways in which evolution really got kick-started uh, and created us. And, you know, that's only uh, something that's been talked about over the, the past uh, several decades. Uh, quantum physics was unknown uh, uh, 
a uh, hundred years ago, when uh, and yet we've talked about evolution for some time before that. So uh, that's one we don't understand the weather very well. We can't predict the weather. We don't know why it didn't rain when uh, all the forecasts said it was going to be for sure going to be raining and. Well, it didn't rain. It was nice, bright, and sunny. On the other way, and you know, vice versa. Sometimes, uh, our our best calculations and our our best models sometimes fail miserably. Um, but that just means that we have to work at defining and and refining the the models a little bit better. So, science is actually a uh, a journey. It's not um, something that is. Uh, completely defined all the time. Uh, we can look at the pandemic that we didn't understand the virus at first, uh, and we're understanding more and more as time goes on. So uh, if you approach science like that, it becomes a little more palatable to say, you know, I don't know what the UFO uh, phenomenon really is in, in this case or that case. We can explain this one and not that one. Um, but um, it's reassuring to know that the, the scientific methodology holds true. Um, I, I know, for example, that, um, uh, that my voice going out uh, in a podcast is going out through uh, some form of electromagnetic wave uh, or uh, digitally in, in some form through, uh, through some other way. Um, we may not know the entire process, but, you know, science works to the point where we can say if we, put our headphones on and we tune in to a specific podcast, we can listen to what people are talking about and specifically with what's happening in Denver. So, hey, you know, science does work. So for you, I guess you'd require more evidence. I mean, you've, you have 45 years uh, of experience uh, researching this and, you know, there's, there are incredible unknowns and, that whispers and rumors make their way out of it uh, and they reach our ears. Like you mentioned Denver, right? Denver airport. There's a lot of people talk about what could be underneath there. It could be one of these black sites. It could be military base. It could be tunnels, new world order. I, Google certainly uh, gives a lot of explanations, but do, do you know anything about, uh, the Denver airport uh, conspiracy? I do know uh, a little bit about it, uh, but the fact that there's some suggestion that there's something mysterious underneath. I mean, uh, the horse statues alone are enough to freak people out that, uh, uh, you know, what does that really represent after all? Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that it's at a significantly higher altitude than most airports, and it's not that far away from some classified military bases. You know, there, there could be a plethora of, uh, of uh, things that we don't know that are, are hidden from view. Uh, and it's great to speculate uh, on these types of things. But until we have more evidence and we t until we, we, um, uh, we can gather the data and put it into some sort of coherent fashion, they're just stories. But, boy, they sure are some great stories. But, so these just snowball. How did Roswell, how did the Area 51 story eke its way out to the point where pop culturally, you don't have to know anything about the subject to have heard of Roswell or heard of Area 51? Is, is it a giant snowballing of telephone? Is it just people talking to person to person to person and let this grow? Or, or at some point, does there have to be some 
semblance of truth, something worth starting a rumor about. Yeah, is there a kernel of truth at the center of every conspiracy? Uh, I, I suspect there is a kernel of truth somewhere. And it's just that uh, if you are you know, afraid and you're terrified of the unknown and the fact of, of labeling something unknown uh, is really unsettling, uh, our minds tend to go places that we ought not to go. And so um, the rumors start and the stories start. And I mean, we have to be honest, there are people who have made up stories quite successfully and, and uh, pulled the wool over our eyes uh, in, in many, many ways. Uh, so we have to factor that into account as well. Uh, but there are some truths out there that, uh, you know, that, that have some, uh, you know, manifestations in reality uh, after looking at uh, rumors for some time. Um, you know, rumors that uh, there, there was an underground bunker uh, where uh, presidents go to, uh, uh, you know, in case of nuclear attack. Uh, they do exist. Uh, there are... Uh, secret locations throughout the, the world uh, where uh, you know, governments have hidden uh, secret bases and, and things like that. Uh, submarine bases that are built into uh, uh, solid rock, apparently, at, uh, on islands. Uh, it's, there's so many fascinating things that, uh, that have been developed by engineers working uh, in secret uh, that uh, you know, we have stealth technology now uh, that was tested uh, often in plain sight or almost sight uh, over North America as uh, uh, some of the, the, the B-1 bombers uh, were flying overhead and the, the stealth fighters uh, that have now got, you know, electromagnetic camouflage. You know, there's some really cool stuff out there. And if you go back to World War II, I mean, some of the uh, expertise in uh, counterintelligence and camouflage worked because... Uh, uh, D-Day managed to be successful. So, you know, counterintelligence and intelligence measures and uh, some sort of subterfuge uh, does work and a lot are operating at a higher level than the general public knows. So if you assume that when you hear about rumors that, you know, that sound half-truth, uh, then you can go there and that's how conspiracy theories really blossom. Well, th it's not just rumors or they i guess they can be rumors but there's even been witnesses that have you know, worked in these facilities or there's records or uh, his name is bob lazar mm -hmm. bob lazar you know, famously worked at area 51 and came forward with all sorts of information some of what he had said you know turned out to be true which is it makes you question everything he said if some of it could be true what what isn't or isn't are, are you coming across whistleblowers in your studies I, I do come across I, I have come across whistleblowers and as far as Bob Lazar goes it's true and you look into what he says some of it is true however if you really look into his story it falls apart completely um, the fact that he you know uh, can't remember any of his professors <laughs> uh, in university the fact that um, uh, he says that he took a, a briefcase full of element 115 uh, out of a secure base and uh, took it home when in fact element 115 has been developed in the laboratory, but only about 20 or 30 atoms worth um, and they couldn't be contained in anything that you could carry in a briefcase. Um, his whole story falls apart. Even the idea that 
his home was raided by FBI because he was getting too close to the truth and they were looking for element 115, when in fact he was known to be selling radioactive materials on the internet uh, through his own company, including polonium and some other materials that uh, were used in uh, attempted assassination attacks on, uh, on officials in, uh, in Europe. So, yeah, there's lots of reasons why um, people like, uh, like him who were selling uh, materials over the internet might be raided by the FBI. So if you put all that in context, there's a kernel of truth, but then there's a, a kernel of, of you know, niggling doubt there too. So well, the he, story he certainly was, well, he certainly got discredited. He certainly got discredited. And, and was that a conspiracy to discredit him because he knew too much? Or is he discredited because his story is simply made up? It really depends on, on how much you believe. In your experience with whistleblowers, do their, do their stories fall apart? under a little bit more scrutiny or are there some people that, you know, are in the position to be whistleblowers that have not necessarily compelled you with a story, but theirs are one of those stories that are unexplained. Do you have any of those? Um, we, I mean, from time to time, we do get uh, uh, people who come forward and say that, uh, you know, they've seen the saucer, they've seen the, the bodies and, and uh, that type of thing. But it, it's very, in, in some cases, it's impossible to verify. Um, in fact, most of the stories we get are from people's children or grandchildren who say that grandpa told me that he saw the, the bodies or something like that. You, you, see, you simply can't go farther than that. Whistleblowers uh, are very important in our society, whether they be um, uh, WikiLeaks related or uh, related to blowing the whistle on nuclear accidents. Uh, or other areas in, in politics and, uh, uh, and governmental affairs. So uh, that's why we have whistleblower legislation now, because uh, we do need to hear from people without uh, suppression. So uh, some of these stories turn out to have a, a lot of basis in fact, and some of them uh, turn out to be nothing more than the nuisance. And the trying to... to decide which is which is very, very difficult. And I would argue it's always best to step back completely and err on the side of um, needing more information and simply labeling something as unknown or uh, insufficient data before jumping to the conclusion that uh, there's something more to it. I would say if there's smoke, there's fire, but in some cases it's just smoke. Can we can we talk for a moment about uh, President Obama, uh, who I believe he did on a, a late night talk show very recently started talking about UFOs, mm -hmm. and he admitted that there's things the Air Force can't identify. Are these the same things you're coming across? Your unknowns? Uh, absolutely. In fact, it was quite interesting. He's been asked about UFOs before and joked about it, um, and here we here we are uh, in 2021, and he. Uh, uh, was asked on another talk show, a comedy show, uh, about UFOs, and everybody laughed and giggled a little bit. And then he said, well, let's get serious, though. There are some uh, reports that we can't explain. Uh, that was a real catalyst. That really made people stand up and pay attention when uh, you know, a, a person with the integrity of uh, Barack Obama 
uh, you know, says that, you know, the UFOs basically are real. Uh, that's quite interesting. Now, what he's seen or what he knows, um, we're not entirely sure. Uh, but, you know, in the case of what was seen and reported through the Pentagon, the, the videos that were reported, plus the, the pilots who said that they had, uh, had seen things, uh, the videos are not that that interesting, quite frankly. They, they can be easily explained in some instances. But what the pilots saw, that's not so easily dismissed uh, because one would assume that pilots with significant flying hours uh, would know uh, the difference between a balloon and a drone and whatever else was flying circles around their plane. And these are the ones that I think people are most interested in. So uh, when a report does get issued, uh, we'll be very interested to uh, to see what comes out, if anything, because um, I predict that it's going to be classified. Well, it, traditionally, the government hasn't been forthcoming with information. You know, they have a long history of us discovering three decades later what actually occurred or what, what they actually knew. Doesn't this feel a little bit like the tip of the iceberg? If he's saying, hey, let's acknowledge that there's things that we can't identify, and that's, you know, the government coming forward to a degree you know, through a person, but somebody who knows things, he's saying that, isn't that the tip? Don't we, can't we assume that there has to be a bunch they're not telling us because of their vast history of not telling us things? There's no question that, um, that that does seem to be the lightning rod here that, uh, you know, saying that there, there's something we can't explain, uh, does seem to imply that there's a lot more in there. And that's true. In fact, since Project Blue Book was finished in 1969, we really don't know what uh, the United States Air Force was doing with regard to UFOs until we, you know, very recently when we heard some snippets about uh, projects looking into advanced technology and considering UAPs or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena reports. Um, but it's still a long jump between saying there are some objects that we can't identify to saying that these are alien spacecraft. And I think that's where people really uh, are stumbling, where we're making this big assumption. Um, maybe the objects are unidentified because we don't know which country is sending them. Um, or um, maybe the, there is some uh, incorrect information that has sent us on a wild goose chase. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why something could be unexplained. And it's just making the assumption that it's something when we simply don't know. And that causes the issue. I'm with you. I'm a, I don't want to say a man of science, but I, I definitely defer to statistics a great deal of the time. And statistically, is there life out there that makes sense to me? I can, I can digest that easily. Uh, digesting how they could travel the vast distances of space. I find that more difficult, but there, there are loopholes. There's, wormholes, folding space, hell, it could be a technology we don't know about, like you say, a portal theory. There's a lot of other ways that they could get here. But at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't have to be aliens. It's still this great unknown about what's out there. And I personally, I feel just as intimidated about it being aliens as it being government technology that is that far advanced. I think both are just as unsettling, uh, to be honest, despite how and when it comes down to likelihood, is it aliens? Probably not. But is it, it has to be something is what I'm struggling with here, I, I suppose. Absolutely. And, and rightly so. Uh, you know, if it's some sort of government technology uh, that's been developed uh, 
at a secret base or something like that, you know, that's that's fantastic. That's amazing. Just imagine the potential uh, if that's what it is. Uh, and it's very intimidating, especially if the potential is actually military. That should be frightening to a lot of people, uh, and, and rightly so. Um, but, you know, being afraid of the unknown uh, has always been part of who we are ever since that we were crawling out of our caves and looking into the dark night sky. We came up with wondrous stories about uh, what was making these bright balls of fire and light cross the sky. And we, we likened them to gods and, and uh, deities that, that had this omnipotent power to, to do these types of, types of things. And we depended upon them to raise crops and, and predict floods and so forth. So, uh, you know, we've always been looking upward into the unknown and either cowering in fear or coming into some sort of relationship with it. And I think developing a relationship with the unknown is a very positive thing. A really good note. Developing a relationship with the unknown. It's it's an intimidating it's an intimidating prospect to think about it that way. That accepting it for it being unknown without trying to get that answer. Because I do think it is our natural inclination to need an answer, to justify it. We need to explain things. I didn't I didn't just sneeze, it's it's because of this. I, I need to justify and understand what's come, coming around us. And I think building a relationship with the unknown. Well, that's such a dark thought. I'm gonna be honest, Chris. That's <laughs> a, it, it, it is a, it is a difficult one to, to swallow for me. Now, in a essentially a blunt question. Would you consider yourself a believer that any of these unknowns could be uh, more than just unknown? More, you know, they could be extraterrestrial. Well, I, I think I'm uh, either an open-minded skeptic or a skeptical believer. Uh, I tend to sit on the fence, and I can tell you that uh, uh, that's really painful, especially if the uh, the fence posts are, are pointy. Um, and it's, it's a difficult position to be in, but it's scientifically valid to simply say, until I get more information, it's okay just to, to, uh, you know, to enjoy the ride. I mean, I don't have um, a lot invested in the UFO phenomenon like some hardcore believers. They are, they're in it because they know it's real, that they, they're convinced the government is hiding something and they want to know more. Uh, so the, the UFO phenomenon must have some real meat to it. Uh, skeptics, on the other hand, think that the whole thing is nonsense and their worldview is, is very neat and tidy. Uh, whereas my viewpoint is simply, you know, it, it's all quite fascinating. And uh, in fact, the entire UFO phenomenon is fascinating, not just the reports themselves, but the, the debates, the controversies, the conspiracies, uh, the magazines, the books, the conventions, uh, the the rumors and, and stories about underground bases and caves and secret bases. It's all wonderful. And uh, uh, to think that we can, uh, uh, you know, enjoy some of this and uh, uh, embrace it as who we are, as, as humans who are on a quest for the unknown. I, I'm going to be honest, Chris, that's the perfect place for us to end this off, I think. This was great. <laughs> this was wonderfully informative. 
Well, there it is. Did it make me feel any better about my whole Noah and Sarah problem? No, but I feel more informed. He said a lot of things that I will carry with me for the rest of my investigation. Because that's what this has turned into. Building a relationship with the unknown. That's what he said. And that's what I've been doing this whole time. I just, I didn't have an eloquent way of expressing it. Because this is a relationship. A bit one-sided, yes. But a relationship nonetheless. (sighs) I'd also feel remiss if we didn't, you know, at least address what he said about Bob Lazar. Yes, Bob Lazar was discredited. But expertly so. In such a total way that it almost just reinforces that he was on the right track. They check in on his university status. His professors don't exist. House raided by the FBI? Well, it's because he was selling radioactive material. Did he steal the elusive atoms of an unknown element? Can't have. It's too unstable to transport. They had an answer for everything. And when that happens, it just feels so contrived. I guess lastly... I took his advice. Chris Rakowski, not Bob Lazar. He said to take a step back when you get this sort of information. Look at it from another perspective. Make sure you're not falling down the rabbit hole. So I did that. Figured that if these messages were a prank, the perpetrators would be bored of it by now. Give them time to move on to some new sap. And for a while, it seemed to be working. But as is the case with all sucker punches, you get hit when you least expect it. Boy, did I get hit. More messages. Heaps. And a giant tangled mess, but more messages came in. And just like that, I'm sucked back into all of this. I need a little time with them again, but I'll be back before you know it. I'll even pick a day. Uh, April. No. March. 28th. That'll be the day. Thank you to Curious Cast for continuing down the rabbit hole with me. And join me again on March 28th for another season of Escaping Denver. <laughs>